starting at verse 11. What I want to share with you concerning that theme is between grace and glory. Between grace and glory. There's a power here that Paul wants to show us. So between grace and glory, we want to come to the place of Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 14. Now the book of Titus is about character. Character matters. How many of you know that? Character does matter. And what Titus is going to show us in Titus chapter 2, verse 11, is the theme of this book. And let me read it to you. If you don't have a Bible, it's on the screen. But please turn to your Bibles. Titus 2.11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. Now, what he's saying here is in this very first verse is this, that for the grace of God has appeared. Well, if it appeared, it obviously wasn't there before. Does that make sense to you? That grace was not known. That grace that was appeared now was hidden, if you will. And so we have to ask ourselves, when did grace appear? Why was it hidden? Write this scripture down, 1 Peter 1.10. Let me read it to you. 1 Peter 1.10 says this, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. So they knew there was a grace coming. The prophets of old knew there was a grace coming. They searched their writings for it, for we who received it, right, it appeared to us. They inquired carefully, verse 11 of 1 Peter 1, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Messiah in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look into. So this grace was coming. The prophets spoke of this grace Messiah was bringing. They searched their own writings to try to understand when would it appear, when would it come. And what's fascinating is this, it says these things even the angels desired to look into. They didn't know when this grace was coming, this work of God. It was hidden in Him from the beginning of time. But what Paul is saying is that grace has now appeared to you. Paul said, we're the ones who have brought it to you. It's what the prophets were searching for. It's what the angels desire. And so this grace appeared. And Paul says it in Titus, for the grace of God has appeared. How did it appear? What did it look like? This is why they couldn't find it. Because it looked like this. It was the cross of the Messiah. No one understood this. Isaiah wrote about it in The Suffering Servant. By his stripes were healed, but he, they couldn't figure this out. When Jesus came and said, I must go to Jerusalem that I may offer my sacrifice and die there, Thomas said, no, you're not going to. 
Peter said, no, you don't have to do that. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. It was hidden in God, this grace, this grace that was given to us. And what does this grace do? He says that this grace was bring, has brought salvation for all people. That's awesome. That's grace. That's grace. A grace that brings this salvation to all people. This glory to all nations. All Jews, Gentiles, whosoever will believe. This grace has appeared. The grace was demonstrated to us by the body of Christ on the cross. Paying the price for our sin. That we might have an exchange. That we may lay down our sin and pick up our new position in Christ as sons. Amen? That's what he's saying. It appeared now. Now, so we have grace. How many of you are thankful for grace this morning? Thank God I've got grace that saved my soul. It's not because of who I am. It's not because of what I've done. It's because he's so good. He said, just come in. Come get this. Now, that's the grace that Paul talks about when he says the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And then he goes on. He says it's going to do something to us. And what happens in this change in us is because, skip down to Titus uh, 2.13, he says, while we have this grace, we are waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing. There's another appearance. The first appearance was grace. But there's another appearance that's coming for the appearing of the glory of the great God and Savior Jesus Christ. God revealed himself once in grace and he's coming back again physically, tangibly, in glory. Now that should do something to us. This grace should do something to us. But the waiting for the glory should also do something to us. And so there's two appearances of God, the full manifestation of God physically, tangibly on earth. His first tangible appearance was in grace. Whosoever will come unto me, all who are hungry and thirsty, I'll give you rest. The grace was given to all people. Now the second coming, that next appearance of God is in the glory. Now this verse is an essential verse for the deity of Jesus Christ. You've got to see this. Because here... What title does Paul give to Jesus the Messiah? Great God. Now there's no other way in Greek to reconstruct this phrase. He's not talking about God the Father here. He is identifying Jesus as full deity. Jehovah Witnesses don't like this verse. Because they don't believe that Jesus is divine, fully God. But this verse clearly and expressly states that we're waiting for the appearance of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is our great God. He is our Savior. And that's the grace and the glory. The grace is He's our Savior. The glory is He's God. And so that understanding should change our lives. It should impact us. That we, leave, we live between grace and glory. Grace and glory. The tension of those two realities of God pulling on our lives. Thank God I've got grace, amen? But I've got to prepare for His glory. 
For His glory is brilliant. He is holy. He is majestic. His glory fills the whole earth. When Jesus returns, you remember what John saw when he saw Him? John knew the grace. John the apostle, remember he laid his head on Jesus' chest and said, Jesus, which one's going to betray you? Jesus, he could whisper and talk to him. He was the one, he put it as, the one whom Jesus loved. He knew the grace of Jesus. He walked with the grace of Jesus. But then on the Isle of Patmos, he had a vision. And when he turned to see the vision of the one who was coming, he fell on his face as dead because the one whom he had seen had eyes of fire and a two-edged sword came out of his mouth and his clothes were brilliant as a high priest and his feet burning as brass and his voice sounded like thunders and lightnings. And he saw the glory of God fully manifest in Jesus Christ, within whom the fullness of the Godhead dwells. So there's something between the grace and the glory of God that we live in that should always be penetrating your heart and mind and your actions. Oh, I have grace. I'm accepted by God. Thank God. I've got grace that when I fall, I have an advocate with the Father, a high priest who always intercedes for me. Oh, thank God. But I know one day I'm going to stand before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ and the glory of God to know and be asked, what did you do with this grace I've given you? It's a tension between the grace and the glory that should cause us to live a righteous and holy life. Amen? That grace enables us and allows us to do it. Let me read to you what John said in 1 John chapter 3, 2. You can write that down and read it later. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. That same apostle who saw the grace and saw the glory. How many of you remember when Peter, James, and John were on the Mount of Transfiguration? And they knew the grace of Jesus. They heard him as a teacher, and all of a sudden, something happens. He's lifted up, and the Shekinah comes out of him. The glory begins to emanate. They cannot even barely see, and all of a sudden, Moses and Elijah show up. Peter says, this place is cool. I'm building me a tent. Can we stay here forever? You want to abide in the glory? Let's just stay here, Jesus. No, 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 no. My first appearance is for grace. The glory's coming, but they had a glimpse of the glory, didn't they? <clears throat> they preached the grace, but they know there's a coming glory. You've got to hold on to that, brothers and sisters. You've got to hold on to it in this world to know that there is going to be a finality to this story. There is going to be an outcome to this story, and Jesus is glorified. Well, John says this, Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we will see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies Him, purifies Himself as He is pure. So you see what He's saying? We don't don't know what we're going to be, but there's an appearing coming. He's coming in His glory, and we will see Him as he is, and we will become like him. Therefore, knowing that there is a glory coming, you will purify yourself. You'll walk circumspectly in the grace given to you because there's a glory coming. I don't like people who talk about sloppy grace, who use grace as a get-out-of-jail card, who use grace as if, well, he'll forgive me anyways. Really? 
Is that the way you're going to walk in the glory of God? Is that the way you're going to appreciate the sacrifice of Jesus Christ? I'll tell you this, that between grace and glory, the glory is going to appear, and that glory is going to be our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We should shudder at the awesomeness of our God. We know His appearing is grace. We call Him friend. He calls us friend. We call Him buddy, pal. Hey, Jesus, you're the best, man. You're all right. Jesus is patient and tolerant with us. He's good. But there's an appearance coming, and we need to understand that He is God, righteous and holy, and all judgment has been given unto Christ Jesus, John 5 says. He will judge the living and the dead. He is righteous and He is holy. He did not give us this grace to squander and to stay. In fact, between grace and glory, this tells us something. We're back in Titus. He says this, the reason He's giving us grace and glory is to to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people for His own possession who are zealous for good works. How many of you are zealous for good works? Zealous to do the things of God. Now we can. Now we can. Now we can love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and body because by His grace He put His Spirit in us. Now I have God's own Spirit to enable me to love Him as He needs to be loved, as He wants to be loved. I can now fulfill the righteous requirements of the law because of the Spirit living in me so that I can be zealous to do the good works. What are the good works? To love my neighbor as myself. To preach this gospel and care for people. What good is Christianity if it doesn't manifest anything in the earth? What good is it? He didn't leave us here, right? So that we'd come to church on Sundays and sing. Although that's a precious thing. He brought us here so that we come to church on Sundays and sing so we'd be empowered to be zealous to do good works. So we get out there and touch lives with Jesus' anointing. So that we would be His hands and His feet. We'd be producers, not consumers. This world, especially the United States of America, has taught us, conformed us to be consumers. Every one of us have been well trained to be consumers. Have you noticed what people do nowadays? All we do is consume. It's all we do. It's our entertainment. Right? Used to be that they had parks. How many of you remember parks? A long time ago, there were plots of land in cities that they set apart where people walked in nature and did things. Really, it's, it's a fascinating concept. They're gone now for Walmarts and Lowe's and Home Depot. What do you do to entertain yourself? You either go out to eat or you go shopping. Come on, think about it. Right? We're consumers. Kids used to go out and play. They did. They used to go out and play at these parks. Remember those parks, those things? They used to go and say, hey, anybody want to play football? And they'd play football together. No, now you have to buy football. You buy Little League. You buy, hey, they've got all these sports teams now that you have to consume and buy and pay and pay for this and pay for ballet and pay for that. And pay. Kids used to play. Now we have to consume what they do. We have to pay for what they do. Everything's based on consumer. This thing's gotten out of control. Now, I would encourage you to find that out about yourself. Many of you don't even realize what consumers you are. 
We want, we want, we want. Even in our Christianity, we want, we want, we want. When I talk about the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, goodness, right? We want that. How many of you want that? That's not a list of wants. We look at it as a list of, I want that. Yeah, I want three of those. Give me some patience. I want that. Give me some joy. I want that joy in me. I want that joy. It's not a list of what you can get. It's what you're supposed to be producing. It's a list of what's coming out of us by the nature of God in us. We're to be producing these things. And between the grace and the glory, that's what's developing in us. Knowing that his glory's coming and I've received his grace, it's producing this fruit in me that no one else on earth can produce. How many of you know that? Now the world wants to consume it, but they can't produce it. They want love, so they try to buy it. I'll take two of them women. I saw this on the streets of Tijuana. I'll take a couple of women, I'll take some porn, I'll take this. I need some love, I need some closeness, so I'll buy buy it. Because many of them can't produce it. But you can, because you have within you the very nature of God's spirit. I need some joy, so I'll pay some comedians, I'll pay some funny movies, I'll buy some drugs, I need to get happy. It's happy hour. Woo! So we consume these things. That's what the world wants, the fruit of the Spirit, but they don't know it as the fruit of the Spirit. But we produce it. Now between the grace and the glory, that's what's being produced in us. So let me show you what he says will take place. In Titus 2.12, he says that this grace and this glory is training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age so that he can have a people for himself that's purified that long for godly works, good works. So it's training us, cross-training. That's what grace is cross-training. That's what we're all in. How many of you are, anybody here work out? Cross-training. Do you know what cross-training is? It's a type of training. The idea of cross-training is this, that you mix up the type of training you're doing. Maybe one day you do all cardio and the next day you do your weights. You're cross-training. You're mixing things up. Well, God is cross-training us between grace and glory. He's training us with grace because when we understand the cost of grace, it was the cross of Jesus Christ. That I am going to leave ungodliness. I'm going to leave the things of the world and lawlessness because of the price that was paid for my sin. Again, I, I, it, it's, it's horrible to con- consider that there are believers who live with sloppy grace. I guess we all do. But for us to even think that we can get away with something because, oh, he'll forgive me anyways. He will. But is that the attitude? Is that cross-training? What is cross-training? It teaches you to do what? Die. That's cross-training. Grace-training says, he must increase, I must decrease cross training says that the only remedy for the flesh is what come on say it again you got it right the only remedy for the flesh is the only remedy for sin in our lives is that's cross training we're working out now and he says that there's two areas that between 
grace and glory, this cross training will minister to us. He says that we have to get rid of worldly things. We're going against the world. He says that it's training us. Now that word in the Greek for training is hard discipline. Grace and glory are moving hard. The Holy Spirit is pushing hard. The Holy Spirit's pushing hard in our lives. Sometimes many of us don't even recognize that it's the Holy Spirit moving us, calling us to deeper things. Many of you are going through very difficult trials. Can I tell you that's cross-training? Many of you have had your faith challenged. Well, resistance is part of strength. You don't know how much faith you have till you're in a good fight. You don't know how much you love the Lord till someone comes against the Lord in your life. You don't know how devoted you are to God until someone offends you. You're going to give up on God? Right? This is cross-training. You're supposed to leave. It's going to train us. This is it. It's active. It's training us. Verse 12, Titus 2.12. It is training us. All right, that's an active present tense. The Holy Spirit's training us. This morning, he blew a whistle. Get up. Let's go. Start moving. Up, up, up. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. How many of you have renounced ungodliness? Huh? He's training us how to do that. But there's a process because there's so much ungodliness in us, we've got to have it exposed. Right? We've lived with it all our lives. We didn't even know it was ungodly. I didn't know that was it. Then all of a sudden you're getting more fine-tuned. You're realizing, I've been eating junk food. This junk food is making me follow more ungodliness. I've been watching junk food. I've been listening to junk food. And he's saying, I need to teach you how to renounce it. You work with people in the area of uh, deliverance, delivering them from the demonic. There are times the reason the demonic is in people's lives is because they've allowed it. Many times they don't even know it. And when, we, when the Holy Spirit helps you identify it and find it, you tell that person, I need you to renounce this. Because by their renouncing it, they are willfully declaring it has no right to remain. All right? So it has no legal right to be there, so now you can cast it, get out of here. There's been a legal renouncing. How many of us have literally renounced the world? Come on now. We're being trained to renounce the world. How are you doing in that? Parents, are you training your children to renounce the world? What does that mean, renounce the world? I'm never going outside again. I'm only going to work in a church. I'm only going to think Jesus' thoughts. Only listen to Jesus' music. Only look at Jesus' paintings. I'm only wearing Jesus' clothes with Jesus' buttons. A lot of people think that's... What is renouncing the world? It's the God of this age, the the worldly things that lead to sin, that desire of the flesh, to renounce that. Brothers and sisters, between grace and glory, the Holy Spirit is cross-training us that our God is holy. He is coming. He is coming on a white horse with a sword in His mouth. He is mighty to judge all the heavens, the earth, and all people and all nations. Our mighty God is coming. We will stand before His judgment seat. Thank God for grace that saved us. But train with that glory, the weight of that glory. Weight of his glory. Glory in the Old Testament is Chabad. 
Say it with me. Chabad. Oh, you're good. That means weight, the weight of his presence. Jesus is coming with the weight of his presence literally in flesh. The angel said he in like manner will return physically, bodily to this planet. His kabod, his weight, his glory is here. That weight should be pressing on you in what you're choosing to do every day. That your desire is to walk in righteousness, renouncing the things of the world. Throw off the things that so easily, the sins that so easily beset you. Train, train. In fact, that's what Paul says in Corinthians. He says this, write this one down, 1 Corinthians 9, 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run? (laughs) That's genius. All the runners run, but only one receives the prize. So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable one. So I don't run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air. I discipline my body, and I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul says, I'm in this thing Because there's a glory set before me. Again, it's that reference to receiving an eternal crown, the Stephanos crown, the crown of victory that Jesus will put on my head. I'm running a race, he says, that has a reward to it. So I have to discipline my body. I have to recognize the glory that's coming. I thank God for the grace, but I recognize there's a glory coming. And I must work. I discipline. I don't just hit anything anywhere. When I throw a punch, man, it's going to land. When I'm fighting the devil, I'm not just Fred Sanford. I'm not just hitting like that. I know where I'm going to hit, and when I hit that devil, I'm hitting him square in the jaw because I know I've been working hard because he says, as a preacher, I don't want to be disqualified. Now there's people say, oh, that means he's losing his salvation. Absolutely not. I mean, every time you fall, you've lost your salvation. Every time you've not been qualified enough, what was the grace about? What he means is disqualified from the prize, from your reward. Let no man rob your crown, steal your crown. I don't want to lose my reward. I don't want to be disqualified that while I'm preaching, I would do something that offends my preaching, and then no one wants to listen to me anymore. What good is it to have a preacher who preaches righteousness, and you find out he's been having affairs or stealing out of the offering? disqualified, I ain't going to his church anymore. Right? All right, he's got a chance to repent, get right with God and so forth, but he's disqualified his message. Paul says, I don't want to disqualify my message. How about you guys? You in training between the grace God gives you and the glory that's upon you? Are you training so that as you're walking, your coworkers aren't looking at you and going, disqualified, I ain't following him. I remember working at GM. I remember telling people, yeah, I'm a believer. They go, oh, you're a Christian? Are you like, like, like Ralph? I don't know. Who's Ralph? <laughs> oh, Ralph's the guy that takes long breaks, doesn't do much work, but he preaches to everybody. No, I'm not like Ralph. I'm not disqualified. Ralph may be saved, but he disqualified himself by his witness, not zealous to do good works. We are a people who are zealous to do good works. We have been purified. We've been sanctified so that we will do good works. Let me conclude with this. He says this in Titus 2, 7 and 8. 
Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about you. Right? So the accuser of the brethren's got nothing on me. Because I am working hard to walk in righteousness and stay in the balance of grace and glory in my life. I thank God for the grace. I know I fail Him. I thank God for that grace that covers me. But under the weight of that glory, I will put away worldliness and I will live unto righteousness. That's what the whole book's about. He starts out saying, hey, your leaders in your church, the elders, they should be this, 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 and this. Right? Men should act like this. Women should act like this. Children should obey like that. Servants and masters should behave like this because it matters. Character matters. And between the grace and the glory in your life, it should put on display good works, good speech, and a good testimony. Amen? It's time the church brought this back and that we were the models of character. He concludes in Titus 3, Verse 4, and he says this, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, that's past tense, that's the grace, He saved us, not because of our works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. There's the grace. So that... Being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. There's the glory. You with me? Sew this thing up. So that there should be a balanced weight in your lives that sets you in every decision. Now now be careful. You know a tightrope walker, he's got that pole. Why does he have it? Because it extends a weight that keeps pressure in the center. He leans too far this way. I've got grace. I've got grace. I'm going to do anything I want. You're going to disqualify your credit. You're going to disqualify your testimony. Come on, balance it out with the glory of God. You're going to stand before the glory of God. The glory of God is on you and in you. The righteousness of God is yours to carry into every situation. Let it balance out the grace of God that you live by so that we will be zealous for good works and we will be a witness to all people. And that, brothers and sisters, is the book of Titus. And that is the balance between grace and glory. Amen? Let's bow our heads.